Well, it's good to be back in person with you today, and uh, I'm glad that we are able to assemble together. And, and uh, as Brother Watson said to me at the beginning of the service, you know, it's, it's uh, very difficult to preach to a wall. And uh, so I'm glad that I, um, that I have the opportunity to preach to people today, and, and uh, I'm excited about uh, what the Lord would do through our time together as we study uh, together from God's Word. But uh, as we get into this, I will say uh, we're, we're picking back up in our study on the doctrine of worship. We started back in January looking at uh, what it is that we do when we gather together or when we worship out in the world through our service and our, our work in the world. So I said we're going to begin when I first started here, we're going to begin a series that will take us through July that looks at the who, what, when, where, and why of worship. And we've been starting, uh, we started with looking at who it is that we worship. And so we've walked through all these different characteristics and personalities of God as we've looked at uh, God as the one true God who is uh, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And then we saw that God, because he is a covenanting God and a loving God, he reveals himself to be a personal God, a God who uh, is uh, intimately related to us. And he reveals himself through Three persons, particularly through the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or as the Christian church has traditionally called it, the Trinity. And then we started looking at, as a result of that, the, the different persons of the Trinity. So for the past three weeks, we've, we've gone through the, the Father and the characteristics of God the Father, seeing that He is a purposeful creator and a loving Father. But then we've also seen uh, Jesus Christ as the revealed Word of God, the revealed image of God, and the revealed Son of God. And so now we get to the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And as we get to this today, I will say that I am always, I hope to be, any pastor should be totally dependent on the work of the Holy Spirit as he preaches from God's Word. But I'm more so dependent on him today because, uh, as Bill and I were talking about beforehand, I, have, I still have a little bit of the COVID lung. I guess you could say they say that it sticks around with you for, for many weeks to come. I'm not contagious. I'm not, I'm not coughing up a storm. It just, I don't have any depth to my lungs, you know, I can't really just get any volume out. And so, um, so as I go through this sermon, if I uh, hesitate a little bit or, or struggle a little bit, it's because of that. But I trust that God's Spirit, especially as I preach on the subject of the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit will enable me to, to preach to you today. So uh, I hope that you're, you come ready to Listen and hear from God's Word today. And today we're going to be back in Ephesians chapter 3 as we study again from the same passage we've looked at each time we've looked at a person of the Trinity. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 through 21 as kind of our launching point today. And, um, but then we're going to be moving around a good bit and I'll give you some other passages that you'll want to look up here in just a bit. But let me begin by saying, as we start to look at the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, uh, unfortunately, the Holy Spirit typically gets a bad rap for, two, for one of two reasons. 
On the one hand, Christians either make the mistake of overemphasizing the importance of the work of the Spirit or really actually only emphasize a particular aspect of the work of the Holy Spirit or we underemphasize it. So some, some charismatic denominations almost exclusively focus on the Holy Spirit and they face a great or, or they place a great deal of importance on the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, or really they, they place a great deal of importance on particular behaviors that they relate to the Holy Spirit, like speaking in tongues or ecstatic worship or excited worship. They place a lot of emphasis on that, and they underemphasize other aspects of the Holy Spirit himself. But then other denominations, like we Baptists, tend to be guilty of this, um, perhaps maybe in a reaction against these charismatic denominations, the other denominations don't talk about the Holy Spirit at all. And we don't emphasize any of the work of the Holy Spirit as a result of our concern that we don't come across as charismatic and, and too spiritual in our worship. So I want to spend as much time as I can today talking about the nature and the work of the Holy Spirit. And like we've already done with the, the doctrine of, of God the Father and God the Son, we're going to get down into, into the weeds of what it, uh, who the Holy Spirit is and what it is that He does. And I want you to understand, if you're taking notes, this would be a, a, a good overarching theme for the sermon today. The one thing that I want you to get from this sermon today is I want you to understand that the Holy Spirit is the personal, powerful, presence of God with his creation. The Holy Spirit is the personal, personal, powerful presence of God with his creation. So we're going to look starting in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 21, but also we're going to go to John chapter 16 and then to Acts chapter 1. So if you want to go ahead and, and flip and put a bookmark in John chapter 16, and Acts chapter 1, you can do that uh, so that you're ready to flip when it comes time to do so. But we're also going to span really the whole Bible as we come to understand who the Holy Spirit is and what it is that He does for us in our salvation. So let's start by reading Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, and then I'll pray and we'll get into the content of the sermon. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, God's word says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we come to you today confessing that we are totally dependent on your word. We are totally dependent on what you say about us and what you say for us to live in a way that would be pleasing to you. And Father, we know that we are also dependent not just on your word, but on your spirit. Your spirit must abide with us and give us strength and power that we might live for you. It is not enough that we would have a list of commandments that would tell us how to live, but we must be empowered by your spirit to live in that way. And Lord, we today, we must even have your spirit to even understand what you mean when you say uh, what you say to us. Father, I need the presence of your spirit that I might speak clearly and that these your people might understand me in what you would have them to know and to believe. So, Father, we pray for your work in our hearts and our minds as we seek to understand and not just to understand, to fill our heads with knowledge, but also to live, to go from this place and to live as you have called us to live. So, Father, bless us now as we study from your word. Give me strength and uh, understanding that I might preach the words that you would have me to say and give these people hearing that they might hear and know and believe and live in accordance with your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So over the last three sermons, we've revisited this Ephesians 3 passage, and I've had some ulterior motives in that. Not only do I want to launch from that each week, but I also want us to read it repeatedly because it would be a great passage. If you wanted to memorize scripture, this would be a great passage for you to memorize. So I kind of want to get it in your head by reading it week after week as we've gone through the different persons of the Trinity in this little sermon series that we've been in. And each week I've gone back to verses 16 and 17 because I think verses 16 and 17 highlight the unity between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we find in those two verses that God the Father grants to believers the power of the Holy Spirit. And the result of that power is the presence of God, the presence of Christ in our hearts. Now, in this powerful statement, we have two truths that I want to mention briefly. First of all, the New Testament teaches that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. Now, I said last time we met here that the, the Son, God the Son, proceeds from the Father. And what we find also is that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. He goes forth and He does the work that the Father and the Son purpose. So I don't know if you use a Bible app or a website for looking up Bible verses and things like that. But if you have a Bible app on your phone or if you go to BibleGateway.com and you were to just put in two words, spirit of, and you were to search every time there's the phrase spirit of in the New Testament, what you would find is half the time. The, the phrase spirit of is followed by God. So, so you read the spirit of God does this or that. But then the other half of the time you'll read spirit of Christ. 
In fact, you notice in this very verse, that, or verses 16 and 17, you notice that it says that the Holy Spirit is given by God the Father to each believer and that the result of that is that Christ, the presence of Christ is with each believer. So the Holy Spirit goes forth from the Father and from the Son and He makes His presence, the presence of God, the Father and the Son, known to His people. Now, there are all, what I mean by that is there are all sorts of ways that we can have confidence in the reality and the truthfulness of God. There are all sorts of proofs that I can give you for the existence of God. We can look at the resurrection of Jesus. We can look at the, the causality in the world. We can look at the creation. We can look at all these things to say that God, oh yeah, He exists. But you know the surest fire way to know that God exists? The presence of the Holy Spirit in your heart. That is the surest way to know that God is with you. And if you don't know that, if you don't have that, then you need it. And you need, at the end of the service, to come down here and take my hand and we can talk about how you can trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because the way that we know that God is real, the, way, the surest way that we know that Jesus has died for us and has risen again is through the presence of the Spirit in our lives. Second, the second thing, truth that we get from Ephesians 3 about the Spirit is Paul says in verse 16 that the primary work of the Spirit is to give us power. Now, the Greek word used for power here is the word dynamis. It's the same word we use in dynamite, right? Um, it is where we get the word dynamite. Now, this is important to understand, especially for us Baptists, because we tend to kind of sanitize the work of the Spirit. And the way that we do that is when we talk about the idea of the power of the Spirit, we, we talk about it in kind of sanitized, normal, day-to-day ways. Now, when Paul is praying that God's people would be strengthened with the power of the Spirit, he's not praying that God would give us some little bit of encouragement for our daily struggles. He's not praying that God would make us psychologically stable or help us to feel better about our relationships. He's not praying about our feelings. And that's the way we often think of the Holy Spirit. He's praying that we would explode with the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of God in our lives. He's praying that we, as God's people, would be dynamite in this world. He's praying that the Holy Spirit would give us such boldness in our witness, such fervor in our work, such fearlessness in our public righteousness that people would be stunned by the inexplicable power with which we live. He is praying that we would be infectiously powerful in the lives that we live. But sadly, that's not the way we live. Instead of living as though we have 
the very real presence of God in our lives, ready to give us supernatural wisdom for any situation we may face, if only we would pray, we pursue worldly wisdom from some TV guru or from some worldly friend of ours, and when it doesn't work, we blame it on God. (laughs) And we say, well, God, you didn't allow this to happen in my life. I don't understand what you're doing. Instead of getting on our knees and praying that God would show us and give us wisdom for the the day that we have in front of us. Uh, Leah and I had a friend uh, that used to live here in Greenville that would embarrass the snot out of you in the middle of, of Walmart because if you, were, if you ran into her in Walmart and she asked you how you were doing and you said, well, I'm really struggling with this, she would say, well, let's pray about it. And she didn't mean I'll put you on the prayer list and I'll pray about it. She meant right there in the middle of Walmart, she would pray for you. And because she believes, she to this day believes in the power of God's Spirit at that moment to be a powerful presence for us in our lives. Instead of boldly telling our friends and our neighbors about Jesus Christ and watching as God works the miracle of salvation in the lives of those we tell, we fret and worry over how our words will be taken and whether it's the right time or not. Instead of being bold and trusting in the work of the Spirit, we worry about what we would say. And instead of resisting the cultural influences in our lives, instead of resisting uh, the, the way the world is driving our behavior and our, our, the way we live, we um, give in to the temptations of this world. We give in to the temptation to go and play sports on a Sunday rather than coming and worshiping in God's house. We give in to the temptation to speak like the world, to tell the jokes the world tells, to, to give in to the gossip and the, and the, uh, the uh, evil talk that we see on Facebook and Instagram and all over the, the world that we live in. And instead of living apart and living in a way that looks different and powerful to the world, we... Instead, trust in the ways of this world. So I think part of the reason that we do this, it's not all of the reason, but I think part of the reason that we do this and part of the reason we have these behaviors is because of a lack of understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. So for the time that we have left, I want to consider three characteristics of the Holy Spirit. So first of all, I want you to understand one of the main characteristics that I want you to understand about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is a person. So to see that, look with me at John chapter 16. And we're going to read verses 1 through 15 to consider this truth. John chapter 16, verses 1 through 15. God's Word says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you 
that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is for your advantage that I go away. For if I go not away, or if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak uh, on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So there's a ton of things that I could say about this passage. There's so much in here. But for the time that we have, I do want to point out uh, three personal attributes that Jesus gives to the Holy Spirit. The first personal attribute I want you to notice is notice that the Holy Spirit is spoken of in personal terms. In verses 7, 8, 13, and 14, Jesus uses personal pronouns. He calls the Holy Spirit he and him to refer to his personality. Now let me just tell you and warn you, it's a pet peeve of mine that Christians often talk about, they make the subtle mistake of talking of the Holy Spirit as it. it. But in Scripture, the Holy Spirit is a he. He's not an it. And that's important because the Holy Spirit is not some impersonal force. He's not like the force on Star Wars that that comes and, and does what you want it to do. He's not some magical power that you call down. He is a person. And so it matters what we call the Holy Spirit. It matters even the personal pronouns that we give to the Holy Spirit because He is a person who abides with us. <clears throat> Second, notice in verse 7 that Jesus gives the Holy Spirit the title of Helper. Now, in the Greek, the word helper that we translate into helper there is paraclete. And um, that word has so much more meaning than just what our English word helper means. In fact, the word paraclete is a legal title. It's really comparable to what we call our defense attorneys. And so what Jesus is saying is that when I send the Holy Spirit, he will be an advocate for you. He will defend you. He will go with you and give you strength. He will be there to witness with you and for you. And so the Holy Spirit for the believer is a helper, an advocate, a defense attorney. But 
The third personal characteristic or, or, or uh, attribute that I want you to notice is a, a neat little play on this idea that Jesus does. Notice in verse 8, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Now notice the play that Jesus does here. For the believer, the Holy Spirit is a defense attorney, an advocate who stands before God and before Satan and wars for everyone who is his. For the unbeliever, though, he's a prosecutor and he convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment. If you are outside of Christ and you're living in sin, that conviction that you feel when the preacher stomps on your toes and tells you that what you're doing is wrong or when your mama and daddy or your brother or sister says that you're living in sin, that conviction is not their personal judgment telling you you're wrong. That conviction is the witness of the Holy Spirit in your life prosecuting you for the way that you're living. The Holy Spirit is personal in his advocacy for the believer and his conviction of the unbeliever. And that brings me to the second characteristic of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person and the Holy Spirit is powerful. Now to see that, just take a real quick stroll with me in your mind through the Bible. If you think back to the very first time that the word Spirit is used in the Bible. I'm not going to ask you to do a Bible trivia question uh, for you, but think back to the first thing, time you can remember the word Spirit being mentioned in the Bible. It's all the way back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, when it says that the Holy Spirit was hovering over the face of the deep. God's Spirit at the very beginning of creation was present in that creation, in that work of creation. Now, the word, the Hebrew word that's used there for spirit is the word ruah. And the next time that you find the word ruah used is in Genesis chapter 7, verse 22. In Genesis chapter 7, verse 22 is that terrible judgment that God brings on the world that we call the great flood. And as God is flooding all the earth, in Genesis chapter 7, verse 22, Moses notes that everything in whom the breath of life was present died. That word breath there is the same word used in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. God's breath is his spirit. And God's breath, the spirit of God, is the life-giving power that enables creation to even live and work and function. So, when God stoops down in Genesis chapter 2, and he forms the shape of a man out of the dust of the earth, that lump of clay does not come to life until what happens? God breathes into him the breath of life. God's Spirit is the life-giving power of God in His creation. But a much more beautiful thing happens in the New Testament. In John chapter 3, 
verses 1 through 8. You, I'm, you go there and read it this afternoon, but I'm not going to have you turn there right now. In John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. You remember this story? And when he comes, he has a question that he wants to ask Jesus, but Jesus preempts him by giving him the answer to his question before he asks it. And Jesus tells him, in order to see the kingdom of God, you must what? You must be born again, right? And Nicodemus, the ever faithful Pharisee, says, okay, well, what do I do to get born again? Should I enter my mother's womb a second time? Which would be really awkward. Um, but they, they, he asked them, what do I got to do to be born again? And Jesus in verse 6 tells Nicodemus, flesh is born of the flesh and spirit is born of the spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. He says, unless you are born of water and the spirit, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this leads to another way that we as Baptists uh, don't emphasize the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, what Jesus is saying there is just like Adam was a lump of clay until, Jesus, until God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, you were a dead man or a dead woman walking until God through his Spirit made you alive and caused you to be born again. Your salvation is completely the work of God by His Spirit alone. If you are saved today, it is because God, through His Spirit, made you alive. And you cannot come to God in faith without the work of the Spirit making you alive and giving you the life that you have. So... Let me catch up here. I've been ad-libbing a little bit. <laughs> so, so the final characteristic of the Holy Spirit that I want you to see is that the Spirit is the real presence of God. The Spirit is a person. The Spirit is powerful. And the Spirit is the real presence of God. Now, there are numerous passages that we could go to in that. But for this, I want you to look with me at Acts chapter 1. Verse 8, just one verse as we close our time together. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus is leaving his disciples, and as he's leaving, he tells them, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So here, Jesus promises his disciples that the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon them. And when he does, they will be his witnesses throughout all the world. God's Spirit will enable the disciples by his presence in their lives to be witnesses throughout this world. This passage is just one example of how God is with us in the presence of His Spirit. The, the New Testament has numerous other examples. For example, he says, the New Testament says that the Spirit enables us to understand His Word. The Spirit gives us godly wisdom. The Spirit convicts us when we sin. 
The Spirit gives us the words to pray when we don't know how. The Spirit empowers us to tell others about Jesus. And the Spirit reminds us that we belong to God. All of those things are things that the New Testament says the Spirit does in His presence in each believer. That's not the Spirit. That's a lie. <laughs> um, we, we just need us a squirrel and we'll do uh, <laughs> So friend, the Holy Spirit this very hour may be calling you to salvation. It may be that you have heard every argument. You know all the facts about Jesus and all the stories. And now you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit calling you to profess faith in Christ. Won't you come and trust in Jesus Christ today? Brothers and sisters, whether we know it or not, the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit is at work in us even this very moment. Now, I've been asked many times by believers why it is that they don't feel the power of the Spirit in their lives. And there are a number of reasons why this might be. But let me suggest one reason that I have found in my own life when I feel that I don't experience the power of the Holy Spirit. It may be that you don't experience the power of the Holy Spirit because you don't trust him to act. What I mean by that is like the, like the parable of the talents with the man that had one talent. Instead of tr- using God's gift and trusting that God will work through His gift, you hoard it. And you say, well, I don't know. I don't have a lot of confidence that I'm going to use it rightly. Or I don't have a lot of confidence that it will work when I do use it. I, I, don't, I don't trust that the Spirit is really going to do what He promises that He will do. Instead of sharing the gospel, you shrink back and allow a little excuse to prevent you from seeing God at work in you and through you. Instead of just saying it, just when your friend is is talking about his need and his, his difficulty in life, instead of just saying what you know you should, what the Holy Spirit is leading you to say, you shrink back. And as a result, you don't get to see the power of God at work in you through His Spirit. Instead of stopping in any moment to pray when you have a need and trusting that God will give you the wisdom and strength to endure, you choose to just bull through and do it by your own might. Instead of trusting that God will answer your prayers through the power of His Spirit. Experiencing the real power and presence of the Spirit is not some magic trick and it's not some second blessing. You don't have to do some special little dance or some special uh, thing here at church to see the power of the Spirit. You just have to be obedient to the difficult things to which God is calling you. You have to be the witness that He's called you to be. You have to speak when He's calling you to speak. You have to live in a righteous way, uh, rejecting the ways of this world and living in the power of God's Spirit. Even though it's hard, you have to do those things because only then will you experience the power of God's Spirit in your life. If you are in Christ, you have His Spirit. Now go live like it. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, you have given us your power through your spirit. This is a fact. It's not something that is a possibility. It's not something that is just in theory. It is the reality for anyone who is in Christ. Father, may we live in that reality, not afraid of what the world might do to us, not ashamed of the gospel, but may we live powerfully. May we live as dynamite in this world, in the power of the Spirit. And Father, may we go from this place ready to to see the power and the presence of the Spirit in our work in this world. As we reject the unrighteousness of the world and we witness against it in our own lives, in our own faithfulness. May we be ready to share and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever we have the opportunity instead of shrinking back from it because of some social or uh, uh, awkward scenario that we might have in our minds. So, Father, bless us now as we respond to you. May we trust fully in what you have done through your son, and may we trust fully in the presence of your spirit with us.